Hello, I'm Dana Bash in Washington, where the state of our union is horrified again. We begin with breaking news, what you just saw and heard there. Officials in Monterey Park, California, talking about a gunman still at large after a mass shooting at a dance hall Saturday night. That mass shooter killed at least 10 people, five men, five women, and injured at least 10 more. Now, the sheriff just now said the suspect is being described at this point as an Asian male. The shooting came during a Lunar New Year celebration very close to where festival goers had gathered earlier that evening. I want to bring in our law enforcement analysts uh, and starting with Juliet. Juliet Kayam, I want to start with you. Uh, what was your takeaway from what we heard? A lot we still don't know. Yeah. So and, and there's a reason why we still don't know a lot. And, and we understand that is because the suspect is still at large and he may be watching. So he we don't tell him what we know if you're law enforcement uh, and uh, you try to catch him. So here's you know, I've, I've, I've listened to a lot of these, been a part of a lot of these. So here's here's the, the big takeaways. Uh, the uh, telling the community that they believe it's an Asian male, at least on first eyewitness reports, does two things. One is, of course, it's going to focus on who that Asian male is. So now we have a, at least a race or an identity, ethnicity of who that is. But it also is consistent with some of the other language of that press conference, which is uh, other lunar events. They do not, lunar New Year events, they do not anticipate need to be canceled, uh, need to be uh, uh, changed because of this. And this was, this goes to what we were talking about before, which is whatever the motivation of the perpetrator is, the community is feeling it as hate, right? It is just hate, uh, uh, even if the if the uh, perpetrator uh, uh, knew the victims or this was related to some background, the uh, uh, um, a relationship. The second thing I, I will say at, at this stage is uh, in terms of the national response, I'm going to be honest here. It, it's weird to feel relief when you hear it may not be a hate crime because 10 people are still dead. And that becomes our baseline. Right. I mean, in other words, as if it's it, it would be more interesting or newsworthy or uh, if if it was just 10, if it was 10 dead because of a, a hate motivation. We still have 10 people dead in a very short period of time because of an assault rifle. Uh, and 10 more who are victims in a hospital. And, and, and for viewers, let's not, let's not lower the floor so much right. that this ends up being a few, you know, oh, few moments uh, because it wasn't uh, based on hate. And, and, and Andrew McCabe, as a former uh, deputy FBI director, you heard your uh, former colleague there with the FBI being asked about uh, the question of it being a hate crime. And, and his answer was basically, well, uh, it, it depends. Certainly there's a definition, a federal definition of a hate crime, which is very important. But this person who went into uh, this area and killed these people, injured these people, had hate. Yeah. Well, well certainly, right? There's a, there's a level of, uh, of uh, homicidal motivation, homicidal intent, mm -hmm. however we ultimately think about this offender and the acts that he committed. And putting hate crimes statutes aside just for a minute, if this person is taken into custody, and I certainly believe they will be eventually, and prosecuted, looking at at least 10 counts of murder. So this is a 
uh, incredibly significant and horrific crime, no matter how it plays out. But I do think it's important, certainly for the investigators, I'm confident they're doing this. They're keeping all options open. They're trying to think as broadly and inclusively about this act as they can. If they don't do that, they run the risk of missing crucial connections and clues that could lead them to this person. But I think it's important for our viewers and for the public at large to try to keep their minds open to the different possibilities uh, that might unfold here. I thought the comments from the sheriff about the second event were Mm -hmm. really fascinating. Um, So we, we know they have a weapon in custody from that event. Doesn't sound like it was fired there, but that could certainly with ballistic uh, analysis connect, could, could connect that person and that gun to the prior uh, murders in Monterey Park. I'm sure they're working those angles right now, but that's a, that's probably the most significant um, investigative development that we've heard so far. And Juliet, as a uh, former Homeland Security official, what does it tell you that this this individual is still at large, and yet you have local officials saying it is now safe for the community to continue with the Lunar New Year celebrations. They have every reason to believe that this particular individual is not part of a larger network at this stage that would target the the Lunar New Year events. That's good news. Uh, It's good news for the community and and for the nation. In fact, uh, that's how I interpreted what they were saying uh, uh, hate clearly motivates someone in in this in, in a situation like this is just where is that hate coming from? And this is what Andrew uh, was just talking about. And that is going to be relevant for the homeland security perspective. You've got the law enforcement side and you want to keep all options open. And then you have the sort of homeland security community engagement uh, uh, Asian American API uh, community uh, that also is feeling this. Uh, in a way in which they want to hear information, they want to hear that their communities are safe, they want to work with law enforcement. And I think you saw a lot of that in this press conference just now as well, that even if they know who it is and they know what the motivation is, they still are reaching out to the community because the community has been devastated by this. I mean, all Americans are, but the com- this community in particular, given the event, mm-hmm. uh, the Lunar New Year events. Yeah, no question about it. Well, uh, We still have a lot to learn, as you both mentioned, uh, intentionally so, because they don't want to tip off uh, this suspect who is at large on anything that they do know that might help them catch uh, him. Thank you both so much for your incredible insights. Uh, We are sorry to have to keep turning to you on events like this. Thank you again. And up next, a huge political story today. An FBI search of President Biden's Wilmington home turned up more classified documents Senate Judiciary Chairman Dick Durbin joins me next. Welcome back to State of the Union. The White House crisis surrounding classified documents found at President Biden's home and former office deepened this weekend when Biden's lawyer announced the FBI discovered additional classified materials during a 13-hour search of the president's Wilmington home on Friday. The president's personal attorney, Bob Bauer, said the Justice Department took possession of six items, including some from Biden's time in the Senate, as well as personally handwritten notes from Biden's vice presidential years. I want to talk to the uh, top Democrat on the Judiciary Committee in the United States Senate, Dick Durbin. 
And Senator, of course, I want to talk about all of that, but let's just go back to where we started this program, which is what we are looking at in California. 10 people at least are dead, another 10 injured in Monterey Park, uh, California. And we know that this was uh, during a Lunar New Year celebration, not much more. What is your reaction? Well, the same celebrations are taking place here in Chicago and across the United States. I'm very concerned for our Asian population. I hope that we learn more quickly. I hope this is not a hate crime against Asian Americans. There have been far too many of those uh, in the recent past. But we're dealing with the tragedy of mass shootings, which is a, sadly a uniquely American experience. It happens over and over and over again, hundreds of times last year, including the shooting at a 4th of July parade in Highland Park, Illinois. Uh, a terrible event, uh, taking the lives of innocent people and children uh, and causing great damage and in injury. I would just say there's a lot we should do as a nation to make it safer for everyone. And one of the first things is to make uh, gun safety a higher priority. Uh, the Supreme Court has taken a position uh, identifying what they think is a constitutional right, which is beyond the realm of reality in my estimation. Uh, we are dealing with uh, capacity, high capacity magazines as Made it might have been the case in California, and we're dealing with weapons which belong in military arsenals, not in the homes of individuals. So this is an issue which we will address, should address, in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, and we should know, we only know that there was a firearm used. We don't know what kind, but hopefully we will know more. And Senator, I should say, I'm sorry in advance if I have to interrupt you to go to that press conference, but we will go back. And while we are waiting, I want to turn to uh, the new classified documents that the FBI found at the president's house in Delaware. It was a 13-hour search that happened on Friday. It's just the latest uh, revelation of the president having classified items that he shouldn't have. You've been in Congress for 40 years. You've handled classified material for a lot of those years, probably most of them. How concerned are you about this? Well, I'm concerned uh, there's a standard that we follow when it comes to members of Congress and classified information. Uh, the door to my office is closed. The person who presents the document to me takes it out of a locked uh, briefcase, hands it to me and watches as I read it. When I finish reading it, he takes it back, puts it in the briefcase and leaves the scene. I mean, that's how carefully we review these documents to think that any of them ended up uh, in, in, in boxes uh, in storage one place or the other is just unacceptable. But having said that, let me make this point clear. Joe Biden has said from the start, we are going to be totally transparent about this. Uh, let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to open my home voluntarily to a search, not the first search, I'm sure, uh, of his offices and home. Uh, he has shown total cooperation in this effort. That is a sharp contrast to President Trump. Well, I want to, speaking of uh, former President Trump, I want to play something that you said last year about the classified documents found at his Mar-a-Lago resort. It's an outrage. It is a literal outrage for the president to take this important information down to his home in Florida and then store it in a closet with traffic people back and forth in the, his resort and golf course. It's an outrage. Is it also an outrage for the current president to have what appears to be multiple classified documents in multiple locations? At its heart, the issue is the same. Those documents should not have been in the personal possession of either Joe Biden or Donald Trump. But what happened and followed from it is significantly different. Donald Trump defied those who knew the documents were in place 
and, and ultimately led to involuntarily a court order and a search of his uh, Mar-a-Lago Hotel Resort to find out how many documents were there. Contrast that with Joe Biden, embarrassed by the situation as he should have been. He, did, he invited the government agencies in to carefully look through all the boxes he had accumulated. It's a much different approach. Uh, it is outrageous that either occurred, but the reaction by the pre- former president and the current president could not be in sharper contrast. They are. They are very different. No question about that. Um, having said that, you are a politician. You've been around for a while and you understand how these things play out. Um, do you fear that because of that, the current president has kind of lost the high ground on this notion of classified information being where it shouldn't be? Well, of course. Uh, Let's be honest about it. Uh, When that information is found, it diminishes uh, the stature of any person who is in possession of it because it's not supposed to happen. Uh, Whether it was the fault of a staffer or an attorney, it makes no difference. The elected official bears ultimate responsibility. And we have to worry, since this uh, new group that has taken over control of the House of Representatives has promised us endless investigations, confrontations, impeachments, and chaos, what's going to happen? I only have one word for those who are dubious as to whether that will happen, and the word is Benghazi. How long did we spend going through Benghazi hearings in the Republican-controlled House in the past? Now imagine the MAGA Republicans and what they're setting out to do. Uh, I'm sure that they're going to have investigations uh, to our heart's delight. I want to turn to the debt ceiling, sir. The White House insists they are not going to negotiate with Republicans who are demanding spending cuts in exchange for raising the debt limit so America doesn't default on its debt. Do you think the president should negotiate? No, absolutely not. Let's get to the bottom line here. Those who are posing for holy pictures as budget balancers, the MAGA Republicans, should note one important fact. Almost 25% of all of the national debt accumulated over the history of the United States, 230 years, was accumulated during the four years of Donald Trump. So the notion that there is some uh, partisan holy position that they're taking uh, and that they're going to fight this battle uh, for the matter of principle, when they enacted tax cuts for the wealthiest people of America during the Trump administration, they added dramatically to the national debt, which we are now facing. Having done that, they need to face the responsibility of paying for it. That is what the debt limit is about. And if we play games with this, if we delay this, if we have short-term extensions of the national debt, we run the very risk of a recession in this economy. Millions of Americans out of work and interest rates going even higher denying people an opportunity to buy a home or a car in this economy will be stalled. We shouldn't play games with the national debt. When when Joe Biden was vice president, I'm sure you remember, uh, back in 2011, he was the lead negotiator on negotiations for spending cuts in exchange for raising the debt ceiling. But you think you're saying you think it's different because of what happened during the Trump years? Uh, I think it's different not just because of the Trump years being the origin of much of this debt, but by the new House of Representatives. 15 ballots, Dana, you were there, you saw it, or at least witnessed it on television. 15 ballots to choose the Speaker, and he gave the, the authority to each member of the House to initiate a vote of no confidence on a daily basis. I mean, this is, is a House of Representatives which uh, is under control of the MAGA Republicans at this point. 
uh, and I'm fearful that very few constructive things will emerge. Before I let you go, I have to ask about the Supreme Court. You are, of course, Senate Judiciary Chairman. You saw what happened at the court. They announced this week that they were unable to determine who leaked the draft decision overturning Roe versus Wade last year. Clerks ha- and employees had to sign sworn affidavits saying that they didn't leak the draft opinion. The justices, neither the justices nor their spouses actually had to sign affidavits. So do you believe that that was a mistake? Should they have to do so to figure out where the leak uh, came from? Listen, the universe of people uh, who are suspects in this leak of an opinion of the Supreme Court is really a small universe. It includes the justices and their families if they had access to this opinion, which I assume some of them did. They should have gone uh, into at least the position of assertions by each one of the justices as to what they did or did not do when it came to these opinions. But uh, I find it hard to imagine with the small group of people who had access uh, to this opinion, they couldn't come up with more information. Are you going to try in your capacity as judiciary chair? No, I don't think this is an area where we can go in and with any kind of force uh, make for a a changed result at this point. Okay. Senate Judiciary Chairman Dick Durbin, thank you so much. And I should say, uh, the Senate Whip, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dana. My next guest is a Senate Democrat who wants to negotiate on the debt ceiling. Can Joe Manchin make a deal? He'll be here next. Plus, Ukraine pleads for more weapons as Russia gears up for a new push. The chairman of the House Foreign Relations Committee will be here. Right now, we're going to talk about the nation's fiscal future. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is warning about global economic catastrophe if Congress fails to raise the debt ceiling. But Republicans are demanding negotiations over future spending. And the White House is refusing to negotiate, even as one Senate Democrat says, well, maybe they should. Here with me now is that Democratic Senator, Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Thank you so much Good for coming Good to be with in. you, Dan. Thank you. I, I do want to ask about that, but very sure. quickly, uh, what we're seeing in California, we don't have a lot of, of details about the suspect or even what kind of gun mm-hmm. he had, but you have been pushing for more than a decade for comprehensive universal background checks. Well, just gun sense. I come from a gun society in West Virginia. I've had guns all my life, and we were taught to be responsible for it. We were taught not to sell it or even loan it to a stranger and all this. And now you're throwing all the all cautions being thrown out, out, the, out the window, if you will. Gun sense has to come back a responsibility we all have, and every state has that responsibility. And I'm, I would like to see uh, us look at it uh, in a comprehensive way. But, you know, background checks, there's nothing wrong with them. I've had to have a background check every time I bought a gun. And the people that I know have no problem with that whatsoever. And you don't want the people that are irresponsible or criminals to get it in their hands. So we don't know what's going on here. I'm yeah. not. My hearts and prayers go out to the families of the victims. It's just awful. Let's turn to the debt ceiling. The White House says that they want Congress to pass a clean debt ceiling increase. Um, No negotiations with Republicans at all. Is that a mistake? I think it's a mistake because we have to negotiate. This is a a democracy that we have. We have a two-party system, if you will. And we should be able to talk and find out where our differences are. And if they're irreconcilable, then you have to move on from there and let the people make their decisions. Uh, using the debt ceiling and holding it hostage hasn't worked in the past. Okay, and anyone wants to look at what, what happened in 2011 and 2013, 
then go ahead. It didn't work out well. So, so who's holding an hostage in this? Well, the bottom scenario. line is saying, you know, first of all, in my state of West Virginia, 60% of the people that are retired right now live with Social Security and Medicare. It scared the bejesus out of them thinking they're going to be, their cuts on the line or you're going to, you know, decimate those two. That's not going to happen. Take that off the board right now and look at ways that we have wasteful spending that we can be held accountable and responsible. Set a target. Do something. You know, in the states, and most states have balanced budget amendments. Every week when I was governor, we had to sit down and agree upon adjustments, cuts. So we ended fiscal year in a balanced or a surplus. That doesn't so, happen. There's no checks and balances. So it sounds like you would be okay with some cuts in spending in exchange. Well, I think for- that basically it's wasteful spending, everybody believes. I mean, my goodness, when you have $31.4 trillion and we've thrown caution to the wind and to blame the Republicans, the Republicans to blame the Democrats, who's at fault? Everybody's at fault. We don't have a process. I've been there 12 years, no budget. So just to be clear, you think that the White House should come to the table and talk to Republicans about some cuts in spending in exchange for raising well, the I debt think- ceiling? At the time, Vice President Joe Biden did exactly that. But you just heard Dick Durbin, the number two Senate Democrat, saying times are different now. It should be. We just respectfully disagree. And and anything about it is every American has to live within a budget. If they don't, they're in trouble financially. Every business that's successful has to live within a budget. Every state has to live within a budget. Shouldn't the federal government have some guardrails that say, hey, guys, you're you're overreaching here and you're overspending? But then pick your priorities. That's all. The priorities is the security of our country, opportunities for people, and taking care of the most vulnerable and making sure the people that have earned it through basically their uh, Social Security and Medicare are protected. Then talk and look at the ways. Well, let's talk about Social Security and Medicare. As part of these negotiations Mm -hmm. over the debt ceiling, you are suggesting a new committee to come up with ways to make Medicare and Social Security more financially stable. Um, I want to be clear there. Are you talking about any cuts to benefits? No cuts to anybody that's receiving their benefits. No adjustments to that. They've earned it. They've paid into it. Take that off the table. But everyone's using that as a leverage. Receiving their benefits now or at... You want to look at everything human. Is it now or the future? Well, you have to look at people that basically, where are they in their working age? What's going on here? But the bottom line is Social Security and Medicare basically is running out of cash because we stop at a certain level when people pay into FICA. So you're open to cuts and benefits for future risk. I'm open to basically raising uh, the easiest and quickest thing we can do is raise the cap. Everybody says, oh, that's a, pro- that's a tax. Raise increase. the age? No, no, no. Forget the age. Okay. At 150, I think it's 150, 154,000, you quit paying. So if you're getting a paycheck, now in West Virginia, in a state like mine, that the medium income is much lower than that, they're paying 100% of the tax. In wealthier areas, they're paying a very small percentage of that tax. Your uh, colleague, Bernie Sanders, tweeted, the last thing we need is another commission to propose cuts to Social Security and Medicare. I agree with him. Bernie and I agree on that. You don't need a committee to, to look at cuts, and that's what they're using and weaponizing it. Can't you look and find out in government where you can be more efficient, more basically prudent with the taxpayer's money, and quit wasting it, don't you think? And we all talk about waste, fraud, and abuse. That's an easy thing to do. But no one looks at it. Will you work with your bipartisan friends? On I work this? with everybody. I work with to, anybody. To create this, this commission? No, I'm not saying create another commission, but don't you think if Kevin McCarthy comes in and says, listen, this is out of control. They sit down and negotiate. And the White House says, okay, what's your recommendations? Could we put basically something on the floor that we'll get to vote on it? Let the people decide and see if we're willing to basically get our house in order. Senator, I want to ask you about the revelation 
from last night that the FBI found six additional classified documents at President Biden's residence Mm -hmm. in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, this time from his time as vice president and his time in the Senate. Earlier this week, he defended his handling of the situation. He said, quote, there's no there there. Do you agree? Well, I don't know, but I can tell you one thing. It's unbelievable how this could happen. It's totally irresponsible. And who's at fault? But with that being said, putting it in a political kangaroo court is not going to help. What it should be done is exactly what Merrick Garland did, put the special counsel. Let's wait and see. You know, some people are taking sides. Okay, it was more egregious of what President Trump did than what President Biden did. And maybe that's true. I don't know. Maybe it's not true. Let's find out. I'm willing to find out from the people that are looking at it, finding all these different documents and looking at the, at the classifications. And if it's harmful, could have been harmful or was it harmful and make determinations and then... The legislature should this affect his decision to run for re-election? Well, he has to make that's a, that's a personal decision with him and his family, you know. I want to ask about uh, Davos, Switzerland. Yeah. You just returned sure. from uh, the World Economic for, uh, Forum. Mm-hmm. You got an earful from European leaders. I did. You did. Yeah. They are upset. Just to, for our audience to understand why they're upset about some parts of what you call the Inflation Reduction Act that you worked on, came up with without a lot of people knowing about it. And and specifically, they think that you're hurting the European Union because of some of the incentives, like credits for electric vehicles, that European leaders think are hurting and will hurt uh, European exports. What were those conversations like? Well, they were were very uh, informative and they were very intense. My, My thing was to explain the purpose of the Inflation Reduction Act was to make the United States of America energy independent. The administration... Uh, the Biden administration has basically touted that as an environmental bill. And there's an awful lot in there that will give us the new technology for the future. But the other path for 10 years is to make sure that we use all of our fossil fuels that we can and basically extract in, in a responsible way and use it in the cleanest fashion with new technology, better and cleaner than anywhere in the world, and making sure that we don't have to depend on other parts of the world like Iran. So what did you say to... European I told leaders who that. say I said, that you're, you're, I, you're hurting our I said, we, we took two different approaches. Your, your countries have taken an approach to where we call the stick and the carrot. You took the stick. You wanted to have cap and trade. You wanted to have basically carbon tax. I never did feel that was productive whatsoever, except all you're doing is punishing the people who are paying higher, higher prices for products that are made because carbon is what we have right now, and we haven't transitioned to another technology. With that, we said we use the incentive. We're based, and now the whole the whole world's coming. I've never seen anything like it. The amount of the amount of jobs opportunities in America for the next ten years is unbelievable. Speaking of Switzerland, you and your colleague Kirsten Cinema mm-hmm. shared a moment on stage <laughs> in Switzerland. You were high fiving each other over your support for the Senate filibuster. As you know, Democratic Congressman Ruben Gallego is thinking about running against her uh, in the United States Senate or for the United States Senate. If Senator Sinema runs for re-election. Would you support her? You've certainly crossed lines about, before. So you know Kirsten Sinema. She truly is. She stood tall when it was time to stand tall, protecting the institution. And basically, what the only thing I've said, I've been voting for 40 years, fairly conservative all the way through, and I think people know I'm in the middle and a centrist. But the bottom line was on Kirsten, she is going to be a formidable candidate. And I would, would you support her? I would think that she needs to be supported again, yes, because she brings... That independent spirit. So you will support her even if she runs against a Democratic candidate? It's not about Democrats and Republicans. Get the best person that's willing to speak their mind. And she, and and your, she has that. Here, let, me tell you, let me just tell you one thing about when we when it came down to that, 
In 2018, 2019, when President Trump was beating on the Republican, uh, uh, Republican delegation in the Senate about get rid of the filibuster, we don't need it, let's get things done. That's the only check and balance you have on the executive branch of government. So you're going to support They it. changed. There was only yes. two of us didn't change. We stayed the same. Okay. Wish her well. Thank you so much, Senator. Appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Thank you. And what do House Republicans plan to do with their new power? The incoming House Foreign Affairs chairman joins me next. Welcome back to State of the Union. As Ukraine braces for an expected Russian offensive this spring, Western allies this week split over how to best help. While here at home, it's not clear House Republicans will back any more Ukraine support. Here with me now is Republican Congressman Michael McCall of Texas. He is the new chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dana. A lot of talk, uh, stuff to talk about with Congress and Ukraine. I first want to ask you about what we're seeing in uh, Monterey Park, California. Yeah. In your home state of Texas, there have been a lot of mass shootings. Uvalde, Sutherland Springs, El Paso, Santa Fe. Um, you voted no on bipartisan gun legislation last summer that got a pretty big bipartisan vote. It was pretty incremental also. Would you support any gun control measures in this Congress? You know, I was a counterterrorism federal prosecutor. I was chairman of Homeland Security. You know, Chicago has probably some of the strictest gun laws in the nation, yet the highest murder rate. So, you know, the way I look at it is we need the intelligence. We need information sharing. We need to connect the dots. Every one of these cases, and I guarantee you're going to see it in this one as well, the shooter had warning signs along the way. We just didn't respond or pick it up. So uh, in my judgment, we could create a system. I introduced a bill that we could take public information on the Internet, have an algorithm to stop the threat before it happens. That is a smart approach rather than, you know, violating Second Amendment rights. And so, uh, look, I, I, I hope we can get that passed. I, we're seeing this movie way too many times. Yeah, we are. And it's, it's absolutely tragic. Yeah. What about a red flag law? Federal red flag Well, law. in a way, what I'm talking about are red flags and every one of these. But, you know, Chicago, Illinois you know, has you red keep, flag. I know. Well, you, you, keep, you keep bringing up Chicago, which I understand. But the guns in Chicago come in from other places because there are a patchwork of laws across the country. There's mm-hmm. no federal law. Right. Again, we stopped, and, and I saw it when I chaired Homeland, so many terror attacks because we got the threat information in advance and we stopped it. We can use that same formula here domestically Although it's a little different, you know, the Constitution didn't apply overseas, but we can do that here and stop these threats before they happen. Let's talk about uh, Russia and Mm. Russia's war on Ukraine. Ukraine is still asking for more help, as you well know. You had pretty strong words uh, about Germany because Germany so far is saying no to transferring its tanks to Ukraine. You called it a cowardly decision. It seems like we're at a pretty key moment in this war. What do you think the Biden administration should do differently with regard to this particular standoff? Well, the NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg called it a pivotal moment. Um, I think that we cannot slow walk the weapons. uh, And, you know, even the Wall Street Journal had a great editorial where they said, you know, there's uh, no moral or strategic case for giving Ukraine just enough weapons to, to bleed for months but not for victory. 
I've been a proponent of let's give them what they need because when we do, they win. The tanks are vitally important. Why? Because we know with the new general Putin put in place, they're going to start a major offensive uh, on the eastern flank in the Donbass. Uh, and we know that's going to happen. The tanks can help stop that. Germany will not put one tank in. Remember Germany, Nord Stream 2 pipeline? Uh, they won't put one tank in until we give them reassurances. We're going to put our Abrams in. If we did that publicly, that would unleash so many leopard tanks because there are 10 other nations that are looking for Germany to sign off on the tanks that they have given them. That would be a game changer. In addition, the tactical missiles called attackums that can reach Crimea to take out the Iranian drones. So, Mr. Chairman, are you arguing here for the U.S. sending uh, Abrams tanks to Ukraine? 100 percent. We don't have to send very many. All we have to do is send enough to unleash what Germany has and what the 10 other countries in NATO have. NATO has to share the burden. One good thing that came out of Ramstein, the, the summit, was that NATO countries are sharing the burden. It's in their backyard. It's in their best interest. And there's no concern that this could be an escalation in the eyes of Russia? You know, they said that with stingers. They said that with javelins, okay. high Mars. I mean, look, uh, I, think, I think Mr. Putin is a provocative one here who's escalated this. He invaded a sovereign territory aggressively, unprovoked. Mr. Chairman, a lot of members of your conference, fellow Republicans, they want to stop giving money to Ukraine. <clears throat> Should Ukraine be worried that the money is going to stop coming from the U.S.? No, no. I think there's enough support on both sides of the aisle, majority in the, the Democratic Party, majority in the Republican. The national security chairman like myself support this. We, we have to educate our members. I don't think they quite understand what is at stake. If Ukraine falls, Chairman Xi and China is going to invade Taiwan. And it's, it's Russia, China, Iran who's putting drones in Crimea. And North Korea, that's putting uh, artillery into uh, Russia, they have to understand the case. And they talk about the border, not mutually exclusive at all. We can do both. We're a great country. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Let's talk about uh, some things happening on the home front, specifically the revelation uh, last night that the FBI found six more classified documents at President Biden's private home in in Delaware, and that was after a 13-hour search, one that he invited to get to the bottom of it. Uh, what is your reaction, and do you feel satisfied now that the FBI has what it needs and has everything? I don't know, because every day it seems like they're finding more documents. And so I think what's significant as a former federal prosecutor is that no longer are they relying on the attorneys to comply, although it was consensual, the search. Uh, but the fact is, the FBI conducted this search, not his attorneys. That that really ratchets the investigation up. But as you said, they invited the FBI to do so. They did. And, and I think that's true. I don't know. The DNI, Director of National Intelligence, won't uh, give Congress any information about the documents. I hear it pertains to foreign adversaries. I don't know. Uh, the Chinese gave a $30 million contribution to University of Pennsylvania at the same time the Biden Center's being stood up. And what is there a connection? I'm sending a letter out tomorrow uh, to the State Department, Secretary Blinken, uh, asking for what communications, what contacts were made, what were these documents, uh, were Chinese officials at the Biden Center. Uh, and the fact that they're in the garage with a Corvette and in a home 
<clears throat> where Hunter Biden is recovering, and he took a picture on his laptop of important documents. Uh, I just think, Dana, there are a lot of unanswered questions here. Yeah, just just for the record, uh, University of Pennsylvania said the Chinese money did not go right. to the Biden Center, and we don't have any um, evidence about Hunter Biden being related to this. But they at do all. have a thousand talents program. That's yeah. their classic but way of permeating. I have to ask you, we're, we're yes, almost out of time. The debt ceiling. Mm. Uh, you have voted <clears throat> in the past to raise the debt ceiling. In fact, three times even since uh, 2017. Why not do it now? Yeah, and I think you know, if you don't, you have catastrophic economic. So you will vote for it. Well, I talked to Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, yesterday. He made it very clear. I'm ready to sit down with, with President Biden today to talk about a reasonable debt ceiling, which would mean meaning, meaningful spending cuts. The, the fact is, we should be having these conversations right now. We know that Secretary Yellen is going to put, she can put this off until June. Mm -hmm. June's going to be the target month. But the Speaker of the House is willing to sit down today with the President of the United States and try to work this out. And I would encourage him to do that. House Foreign Affairs Chairman Michael McCall, thank you so much. Thanks, Appreciate Dana. it. And congratulations on your chairmanship. I haven't seen you since. Appreciate thank you. It. And more classified documents, as we've been talking about, were found at President Biden's home in Delaware. How will it affect his planned presidential announcement for re-election? My panel is next. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there. Welcome back to State of the Union. That was President Biden this week before another set of classified documents were found during an FBI search on Friday of his home in Delaware. My panel joins me now. Thanks for coming in. Uh, former Congressman Mondaire Jones, you uh, were in the United States Congress, obviously. You've dealt with classified documents. What do you make of this? Look, classified documents have to remain in classified settings. I suspect that this was an oversight. I have no reason to believe otherwise, especially given the president's cooperation with law enforcement. And this is in stark contrast, of course, to the situation with Donald Trump, who has <laughs> obstructed every step of the way to the point where uh, federal law enforcement officers had to go and physically take documents that the president refused repeatedly to produce. The thing I worry about, though, in the post-Trump era is that we sort of lower the bar for everything because he broke so many norms. The facts alone with Biden are incredibly damning. Um, this is now multiple locations, five different batches that have been found. When I was at the Department of Defense, if I had mishandled one classified document or taken it off the perimeter, um, I would have been in prison. So, um, yes, he's cooperating, but that doesn't eliminate the fact that this could have exposed vital national security secrets and put the country in danger. And you heard Dick Durbin tell me, yeah. basically— that this is bad. It is. I mean, look, I suspect it also happens a lot more often than we ever know about. Yes, David, actually, because technically, I mean, when I worked in the Clinton administration, like the president's schedule is technically a top secret document. So I think people, and I suspect that in previous administrations, documents may have ended up in places that they should not have been. Certainly, it's clear that that's, this is an issue that needs to be dealt with. But again, I want us to, you know, stay close to the facts here in that it matters greatly that you have a former president who doesn't want to give the documents back, who says, you know, he thinks they're cool, I believe he said this week or last week, 
I mean, that is very different than finding these documents. And the president himself is saying, we're going to cooperate fully. We're going to do everything we need to do to make sure that we get to the bottom of this. Yeah, I'll say I'll reserve judgment until both special counsels are done with their investigations. I think that's probably the wisest thing to do. But I think both of these cases kind of can stand on their own. If Donald Trump has classified documents in his residence or someplace, that's bad. If Joe Biden does, that's equally as bad. I don't think you can say that, oh, they got there, some staffer put them there. We don't know. Let's see, let's see what the special counsel um, finds. I just think that it's, you know, we continue to find drip, drip, drip. Joe Biden is, in, is so indignant. This is what bothers me. He's so indignant. Oh, they, they were fine when somebody asked him a question at the White House. They were locked with my Corvette. Why doesn't he just say, hey, I screwed up. I made a mistake. Right. Well, That's what I'd like to hear him say. Like, I just made a mistake. We don't well, he made a mistake. They're clearly in his they're they're locked in a filing cabinet next to his Corvette in his garage. But we don't know how we how they got there. Well, so, how do you like, think you they just, got next to his Corvette? Dude, you can't. St- <laughs> but you can't start by saying <laughs> staffer put him there in his garage. What happens well, the in the investigation and then. Criticize. The, the optics are tough, though, because this is the administration that ran on the adults are back in charge. And clearly, the vi- former vice president didn't know how to properly handle and store classified documents. I mean, that's just... By, a, by the way, the one, the one there's from the Senate... Like, earlier, Hold on. That you would have gone to prison. And I don't know that that's true, because there is a standard of intentionality yeah. required for yeah. a criminal conviction here. And so I, I think... She we've well, only, she we've only est- fired. We, we've only established <laughs> that. Fired. Yeah, well, we've only established that as to the former president, not as to the current president. So uh, until such time as we learn anything new, these are fundamentally different situations. The, and, well, and, and that, that, that is a fair point. I think that the, 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 there is a question that needs to be raised about the chain of custody of classified documents. We've seen it, former Secretary Clinton. We've seen it with former President Trump and now Joe Biden who've mishandled classified information, and then somehow we just don't know about it until years after the fact. There's a big problem here, whether it's GSA or NARA, that needs to look into the chain of custody of these documents. Well, just know that. When he was a senator. He has documents from when he was a senator. That's not, that's, not, that's not like last week, okay? So let's no, just see. Again, let's see. We, don't we don't know what it is. Absolutely. Let's wait and see. We don't know what it is. I will, I will grant so you that. Let's wait and see. I will okay. just say this. It's bad. Let's, here's the, I'm sorry. Just very briefly. The difference also, though, is this... It, Donald Trump is not an adult who is in charge. That's part of the problem, right? This, for, for Trump, this plays into the, and this is not the only thing that he is being investigated around. That's the problem and one of the big differences between Trump and Joe Biden. Joe Biden has, we it's just, part of a trend. The, the big, big loser here is Merrick Garland. Just let's put it that way, right? Because he's, <laughs> he's kind of doomed. Well, he's, well, but he job. has two special counsels. Yeah, but he's, he's, he can't now come, it'll be very difficult for him politically to move forward with Trump and not do something. Well, okay. thank, we'll thank God the Department of Justice is not supposed to consider politics. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're all talking about uh, former President Trump. He's the only one to formally announce that he wants to be president again. We heard from somebody else who might want to be president again, and that is his former ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley. Listen to what she said this week. When you're looking at a run for president, you look at two things. You first look at, does the current situation push for new leadership? The second question is, am I that person that could be that new leader? Yes, we need to go in a new direction. And can I be that leader? Yes, I think I can be that leader. Alyssa? The most common thing that I hear talking to people all across the country and the political spectrum is they want next generation leadership. I think Nikki Haley is very formidable. I think she would be smart to throw her hat into the ring. People do. The last thing any American wants to see is Trump versus Biden again. So I hope more Republicans get into the race, and I think she would be a strong candidate. Yeah, look, I, I agree with I agree with Alyssa's analysis. I think no one 
you know, no one's sitting around saying that uh, it isn't time for new leadership on both sides of the aisle. I think there's that. We were just talking in the green room. My good friend, Josh Shapiro, who I keep pumping up in Westmore. I think Democrats have a strong bench. Republicans have a strong bench. And there's, uh, I think people are eager for that type of leadership. And, and look, that's why it's why we do these races, right? You, you get in, you run. Mickey Haley, maybe she's strong, maybe she's not. There are other people who are going to get in. You know, nobody thought, you know, remember when Scott Walker was going to be president of the United States? <laughs> well, you're, you were one of the youngest members of Congress. What are your views on a new generation of leadership? I think it's important. I think, ironically, Democrats do a far worse job than Republicans do of, of featuring young talent. Um, and I just helped you out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, th- thankfully, because of the changes in the media environment, you've seen younger members like Katie Porter and others really penetrate the, the sort of the ecosystem and, and, and get attention where leaders in Congress would not have featured those individuals. And I think you'll continue to see more of that. We saw some of those people uh, during the 15 ballots a few weeks ago for the Speakership of the House, folks who had a chance to approach the podium and nominate their respective leaders. Karen, let's ask, uh, let's talk about the Democratic side of the aisle, namely the President of the United States. Yes. What's your sense on timing there? I would, ex- I think they've said we should expect to hear something after the State of the Union. So I would, I would expect that to be pretty early in the year. I mean, there's no secret he's made it pretty clear he's running. He has a great record to run on. I think ultimately that is going to matter uh, most to people when they look at what's happening in the economy, the way, you know, the way he's turned around the economy, jobs. So I, I would expect probably... Who do you worry about the most in the uh, Republican field? You know, I never like to say because, you know, there was a time when we thought there's no way Donald Trump will ever be president. So, I, you know, I don't think we can can guess. I do think, though, on the Republican side, it's clear. I mean, look at how Trump is this week, you know, criticizing um, religious conservatives for not endorsing him. It's going to be ugly, uh, no question, on the Republican side. Well, it could be ugly on the, on the Democratic side, too, depending on what happens here with these well, documents. Well, OK, we'll see about that. <laughs> Always back to the documents, David. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me this morning. I really appreciate it. And thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. The news continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.